Welcome, welcome. This is Cassandra Austin McDonald with the Grow Through It podcast, where I share my personal life experiences and the stories of others who have grown through life's ups and downs and came out on the other side. Listen in as you may become inspired to evolve into the best version of yourself. Welcome back, everyone. I am here recording this new episode with a good friend of mine, Miss Tiffany Hatchett. Welcome, Tiffany. Hey, Cassandra. Thank you for having me. So, you guys, I wanted to interview Tiffany because she has such a powerful story and message. And, you know, here on the Grow Through It podcast, we're always talking about all of our stories and how we grow through different life's challenges and make it out onto the other side. And Tiffany has most certainly done that through her story of overcoming addiction in her own life to becoming an addictions therapist, family mediator, and a wellness coach. Tiffany is also a mother of one, and she is a huge advocate for supporting and encouraging women in the empowerment industry. So Tiffany, I'm so glad that you're here and that you're going to be sharing your story with all of us because I know it's going to be powerful and it's going to touch so many people that listen and tune into the Grow Through It podcast. Mm -hmm. Thank Um, you. Walk us through what led you into your addiction. How old were you when you started your addiction and what was your addiction? Wow, how old was I? It's funny, um, I started drinking at the age of 13. Wow. Yeah. I can remember my first drink. Wow. Mad Dog 2020. Dang. <laughs> and all I had eaten that day was popcorn. Mm. Um, but yeah, I started drinking at, thir- at 13, and I became sober at 34. What led you to start drinking at 13? Um, living in a home with a narcissistic mother. Mm. Um, a father that was a heroin addict that I didn't realize was a heroin addict. Mm. He was also a pimp and in our city he was the biggest pimp in our city. And so I grew up watching him beat and berate women physically, you know, and emotionally. Wow. And then I also watched my mom um, succumb to domestic violence in our home. Mm -hmm. So she would take her frustration out on us um, coupled with her narcissistic personality disorder. So it sounds like you came from this toxic dysfunctional dysfunctional background Mm -hmm. that led to you starting to pick up some habits that you saw growing up. Yeah, well, and that's interesting that you say that because I actually did not see my mom using. She's Mm -hmm. she's never been a user. Mm -hmm. I mean, she could drink a daiquiri and be drunk. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't know that my dad was using. So um, in addiction, uh, as being an addiction therapist, you learn it, that you have a predisposition to mm, using. Okay. And so that's, I believe, it was already in me. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody has it, right. um, but you have a greater chance of becoming an addict. Mm-hmm. But I think because of living in a home where I wasn't seen, mm-hmm. where I was um, abused physically, emotionally, psychologically, I was also molested at the age of five Wow. Um, by our next door neighbor for um, a couple of years from mm-hmm. what I can remember. I, I was numbing out. Mm. I didn't want to feel. That's why I was going to ask you, was it a numbing mechanism? Yeah. yeah. So I self-medicated so that I didn't have to deal with life as it was. And my mom 
by the time I got to 13, I was developed. I mean, I was fully developed at, in the, what, the third grade when I was So you're feeling grown. grown. Yes. But she also exploited me, mm. you know, f- for her gain mm-hmm. um, so that she could gain admiration from my friends, wow. my guy friends. And then she would try to take my female friends and make them her own. So I had call a that lot. the flying monkeys. Yes. Yes. The flying monkeys. But also she wanted to basically live my life. And my friends, because we were only 12 and 13 years right. old, none of us understood it. And you don't know any better either. It's like you could, you sense this doesn't feel right. Absolutely. Something's not right. But it's like you can't put your finger on it. Yeah. I didn't learn until, you know, two years ago what a narcissist was. And I learned through you what narcissism was. Right. I didn't know. I mean, to read it in a book. Mm -hmm. and actually live through it Mm -hmm. and grow through it is two totally different things. Mm -hmm. So in order for me to escape, that's what I started doing. Drinking Mm -hmm. was my drug of choice, and then I graduated and went to other things. But, yeah, that's how I got started drinking, just trying to escape the hell that I was literally living in my home. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, my dad was an abusive alcoholic, Mm -hmm. And I used to despise that about him. Mm -hmm. And yet I believe I had my first drink at probably 15 Mm -hmm. years old. And it's like the very thing that we despise our parents for, we can end up doing ourselves. Yeah, or becoming. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And so I get it when you talk about the numbing, Mm because I think that that became that for me at some point where I was like, oh, I can kind of like check out for a few hours and party. Mm -hmm. And partying became my thing. I love to party because... the lifestyle. Yeah, it was like... For a moment in time, life just fizzled out yeah. and the worries were gone. Yes. And but then when you sober, it's right back to where it is. And then you have to then you start replaying that trauma, mm-hmm. re, replaying that pain. So did you go um, into any other substances, or did you just stick with alcohol? Oh or? God, no. Yeah, I um, weed, and then I would tick toggle back and forth between weed and liquor mm. you know uh, and then I went to I mean I, I smoked uh, opium and hash and wow yeah and I mean I even dabbled in you know what we used to call yaps back in the day which is basically what is that? <laughs> I'm like what is that I should know why you see a probation officer um, it's <laughs> weed with cooked cocaine crack on it oh they call that something else the kids started calling that something else when I was um, working with the youth really I not primos I can't remember what they called it. They said they laced it or something. That's, yeah, that's the same It's the thing. same thing? Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. okay. But, um, so I did that, um, but before I think I graduated to those, because that was later in life, I was, um, I was tooting cocaine, so I would snort cocaine. Mm. How I, old were you? When I first snorted, I think I was between 16 and 17. Wow. And I did that for a long time, and it was, it I learned that it would balance out the liquor mm. because I drank hard liquor. Mm-hmm. I couldn't hold my liquor worth anything, mm-hmm. but I would drink hard liquor because I didn't want to feel. Right. I really did not want to feel, and I would. And you have to understand, I was going into a home where there was no love. It was just oh, you know, I understand, girl. Complete <laughs> darkness. Yeah. I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> I know you know. Oh yeah. Complete utter darkness yeah. every day and. She, my mother hated me for being who I was. She hated me for being just the light. You know, I've always been liked. I've always been popular, even when I didn't want to be, even when I didn't understand that that was a thing. You know, people were always drawn to me, which used to irritate me. Mm -hmm. But I now know that that's a gift. 
you know, but she would try to snuff out anything good. Any of my friends, she would, she would greet them at the door and I would hear them knocking on the door, asking for me, and she would usher them in her room and keep them in there for an hour or two. Wow. You know, so she would literally take everything from me. Mm. And so all I, that was all I had, mm. you know, that was all I had. So I, I learned that from uh, snorting cocaine and drinking at the same time that it would balance out my high so mm. I wouldn't get too drunk. Okay. Yeah. It so, would just be mellow. So how did you get access to this stuff? Well, I'm a, I'm a beautiful female. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the guys back in the day, you know, and, and let me say this. I went to Southeast and so... I did too. Y yeah. So back then, though, because I'm older than you are, back then there were $2 joints. At, you just go to Brandon Drive and you get a $2 joint. Really? Girl. Wow. And then there were people, and it's sad to say this, but Joey's um, Liquor used to be on 18th Street. Mm -hmm. And um, there would be people outside and we would just have them go get us a gallon of beer. You know, it's funny you say that because I'm thinking about when I was with a girlfriend um, I will never forget. Mm -hmm. I think I got her ass beat because of this. But we had her dad's car. We had to have been 16 mm -hmm. because she was driving. And we drove through the liquor drive through over there on South Grand. And we got, I don't remember what we got. I think it was hooch or something. Mm -hmm. It depends on who was at the and window. And my old thirsty couldn't wait till we got to where we was going. Opened up a bottle and the bottle cap flipped up in the car and her dad found it. Right. And he he was he knew that we had been in there drinking yeah. and that's how he found out. But it's you saying that it made me remember that memory because we were probably sixteen and were able to buy liquor. Wow. And I don't re I don't remember how we were able to. I don't remember if they carded us. I I don't know if it was a thing, like anybody could buy it or what. Right, right. But it was just us two in the car and we bought it. Do you know now in retrospect, just thinking, just hearing that story how powerful that is that she had a parent that actually cared about her because my mom would encourage me to have parties you know I, my house was a party house mm. and so she would now I would never I don't ever remember asking her about you know can I bring cocaine it was always just liquor and um and weed and your mom would let you have parties like this what wow yes ma'am because she so she was trying to be your friend but not your it friend. wasn't right. It wasn't about me. It was about who the I access. attracted. Yeah. Mm. And so she would party with us, not drinking, not smoking. But All she wanted to the do, interaction. Yes. She just wanted to be one of the girls and sit there. She would dance with my she guys. She was living vicariously through you. Yes. When I told you wow. earlier, she wanted to be me. I'm, I wasn't exaggerating. Wow. She would have on her little see-through robe. <gasps> Tiffany. I used to be so embarrassed. Oh, man. I and you're going to laugh. No, because I'm thinking, like, I would have shut that joker down. Girl, like, this went on go for home. years. She I, literally. Well, we ain't having no party today. She literally. <laughs> but but see, in my in my brain, I couldn't process because she wasn't the type of mother that I could, I couldn't shut it down. Yeah. You know, because I probably would have got knocked into the middle of next week right while the party was going on because she enjoyed embarrassing me in front mm, of my friends. That's terrible. But she would have let me have parties so that she could bump and grind on the guys and then she would go back and tell my family, well, Tiffany's, you know, she's so disrespectful and she's having these parties at so my house. So she painted you in a certain light yeah. when she's the one So that I was always the black sheep. Not I, just can the, I can relate to the black sheep. Yeah. Um, now I look at it as a badge of honor because I realize a lot of us who are black, black sheep and our families are mm -hmm. really the light mm -hmm. and that really yeah. 
the people around us couldn't handle our light. Mm -hmm. And it was because of our light why they were always treating us differently. Absolutely. It took all the healing that I've been through to realize that. Right. But for a long time, I thought I was cursed. I oh, was like, what? What's wrong with me? I was me? like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Is that I'm how unlovable. you felt? Yeah. I, I could not fathom. You know why my own mother your own flesh and blood could not love me and then my dad wasn't around you know i knew who he was mm -hmm. but I, I might look up and he's got a, a flock of a hose walking behind him down the street wow you know what was that like witnessing that it was i can remember my first account watching my dad beat a woman almost unconscious i was three mm. and i will never that, that's the the only memory that i can remember at three is that and I took off down the street because I grew up in the John Hay home. So mm -hmm. I took off down, I think we lived at 13th or 12th or 13th, something like that. And my dad and his lived with his grandmother on 15th street or place. And I took off down the street. I was three, but I knew where I was going. It was mm -hmm. just a straight shot down the sidewalk. And my mom knew that's probably where I went. So she came down there, tearing down there looking for me. And she walked through the front door. We were like in the court behind the house and um, his main prostitute, they call her something else, but I'm not going to say that on your podcast. His main prostitute was there and I loved her and she loved me and she, she nurtured me and she played with me and she hugged on me all the time, even until, I mean, as an adult, you know, she just mm -hmm. died a couple of years ago, but, um, my mom saw her playing with me in the courtyard and she got mad mm. and she said, um, something, you know, I don't remember exactly what she said, but I remember her being angry because how dare you have her down here with my daughter. Oh, wow. Well, how dare you not be a mother and nurture me like she is. Right. You know, so because my mom made such a stink, my dad took that and he started attacking her, the woman, not my mom. Wow. And the next thing I know. Because she's supposed to stay in her place. Period. Mm. Like, get out of here. Yeah. You know. And, um, and she was just like, I ain't, you know, I didn't do anything. I'm just down here playing with Tiffany. And, and my mom was like, yeah, you need to get out of here. And, and I'm crying because I loved this woman. Yeah, you finally getting some love and attention. And that's why I snuck off down the street because there was nothing but darkness where I, where I lived. Mm -hmm. And so because my mom made such a stink, my dad started um, yelling and cussing at, um, her name was Annie. And he told her to stand there and hold a tree. And he made her put, I mean, this was a big, big tree. He made her stand up against that tree and she had to put her arms behind her back and hug that tree. And this was in 73. I remember, you know, back then, men wore those big platform sh bottom shoes. He took off running several, you know, feet and then he ran and he dove in her chest and in her torso repeatedly for every bit of what wow. I can remember. It seemed like, it seemed like forever, but it probably was like, five or 10 minutes. Wow. And I screamed and cried and tried to get a hold of her while my mom yanked me back and held me and laughed. Uh, wow. She sounded like an evil witch. I'm sorry. She, I, you don't have to That's apologize. the first word that came to my mind. So like, imagine who does that? being raised by that. Oh, I can't because my- I keep forgetting. Girl, yes. my, I, my, my counselor said that she believes my mom has NPD. Just stories I've yes. shared with her and told her and, um, it's sickening, yeah. You know, because and it's. I think for me, it's now that we're mothers. Mm -hmm. You know, we raised our own boys, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's one thing when you're the child and you know, this doesn't feel right. I don't feel loved and nurtured by my parent. But then when you become a parent, yeah, 
and then you start parenting your child yes. differently than how you were parented, yes. that was when the anger and rage really settled in for me toward my mom because I Absolutely. was like, now I know that there's a wrong and a right way to Absolutely. parent, and you totally did it the wrong and way. And you didn't you, even try. You dropped the ball big yeah, time. You didn't even try. Yeah. It was so bad, Cassandra, excuse me, that I was afraid, I was definitely afraid to have children. Oh, me too. You, yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't know if I was going to be like her. Yeah. You I was know? petrified of it. I think we, was that you I was just talking to about this? or what, No, I think it was another friend I was talking to mm -hmm. about this the other day. I said, I always had this fear of having kids because I didn't want to be anything like my mom. Yeah. I and mean, I was scared, like, I can't, I can't ruin another kid's life. I almost I didn't my have, mom ruined mine. I almost didn't have mine because of that fear. That's how afraid I was. How old were you when you had your son? I was 19. Um, I had That's him. the same age I was when I got really? pregnant with Amari. Yep, yeah. I had my baby uh, a month and two days after my 19th birthday. Wow. Yeah. And it was crazy because when I found out I was pregnant, I ended up, I had, um, I had fibrocystic breast disease. So I had mm. like lumps in my breast. Mm -hmm. And the first time I was 16, they took, the, took them out and they came back. And so I had just graduated and there were more. So I needed to get checked. I was 18. Do you know, because she had to know every single detail of, about me and my life, that she literally went to the doctor and made them tell her about a pregnancy test. And you're 18. I was 18. Yeah. So they didn't have to say. No. Was HIPAA around back then? I don't remember, but I never, I told the doctor, I can remember that, that I told the doctor that I, under no uncertain terms that I want her specifically to know about you know, my, my uh, medical history yeah. or anything. And yet they... They told her anyway. So I can remember going to Southeast and we had a game and I was so afraid to tell her because she was so unapproachable and so cold and so callous all the time to me, not to others, but you already know what that... Because my know. mom's the same way. Yeah, everybody, everybody oh my God, you're... so sweet. She, yeah, like, she, really? was, she helped me through school. Well, she never even asked about my grades. Yeah. Uh, but I, I remember climbing up on the bleachers and I, I couldn't even look at her, Cassandra. I sat three or two steps down, and I said, I have to tell you something. And she was like, I already know what it is. That I would have wanted. Y'all going to have to forgive me, y'all listening. I know it's going to sound like I'm being bitter Betty right now, but like when I hear this, it makes me want to say stuff like I would have slapped her, and I know you, that's not appropriate. But that's the feel, feelings that you yes. have, you know, because I had those feelings with my mom where, like, I wanted to fight her at times. I did fight my mom. Oh, yeah. She attacked me when I was pregnant. She, My mom did. My mom dragged me by, by my your hair, hair when I, I was pregnant with Amari. So you see why I ended up self-medicating. So did you continue to self-medicate? after you had your son oh yeah i got worse as did, I got did you older. did you do that during the pregnancy no, no okay no. so what, I didn't do, what do you think made you well i know you're an empath mm -hmm. do you think that kicked in while you were pregnant not you not knowing you're an empath but like this second nature about yourself like the caring nurturing mm -hmm. part like i have another being inside because i was like that with amari where it's like i was a big partier mm. but as soon as i got pregnant like shut everything down yeah i and i wouldn't consume nothing anything, right i can't even remember being you know because i was still pregnant on my 19th birthday and i somebody told me well you could drink a cooler i couldn't even drink a cooler yeah i think the fear you know just the fear of of hurting him mm -hmm. um you know physically cognitively all those things just really played a part i don't mm -hmm. know if it was the empath in me, I think I was just so afraid of messing up. 
Yeah. You know, I always felt like I wasn't good enough. Mm. I always felt like um, I was a mess up. Mm -hmm. You know, I was such a pessimist. But that was because of the programming. We always talk about that. Yeah. You know, that's that. And I feel like that's um, until you come into this work that we do, Mm -hmm. not just how we help others, but the work we do on On ourselves. ourselves. Yes. You don't even realize that it was never you all along. It had never had anything to do with you. That it was them all along. Absolutely. They projected their crap on you. Yeah. It's like, well, damn, I wish I would have known that 20 years ago. How about 30? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the crazy part is that, um, you know, she used to like make little digs and say little things Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But I totally, always thought something was wrong with me. I always thought that, um, I always waited for the other shoe to drop. And I remember, I can't remember who it was. It was a guy and how old I was, I can't remember. But I remember somebody told me one day, you are a pessimist. I was so negative. Well, let me take that back. Towards yourself. Correct, that's what I was gonna say. I wasn't negative about other people. I know what you mean. But when I talk about myself, you when, talk down on yourself, yes, you're self-critical. Yes, and when I would think about even the possibility of doing something, mm-hmm. I would be like, well, I, I won't be able to do it anyway because, you know. Yeah. I was just... Down on yourself. Yeah, but but I was programmed... To be that way. Mm-hmm. Because that's how she is about herself. Yeah, and, and us. But she put my little sister on a pedestal, but you know all about that. Yeah, my mom did the same thing with my sister, mm-hmm. and then it created that whole yeah. dysfunctional relationship between us that still exists and, because... Yeah. She she's entitled. Mm-hmm. She can do no wrong. And jealous. And mm-hmm. you think you're more than she is. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Well, shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> do something about it. Uh, how about that? <laughs> <Girl>. So <laughs> look, <laughs> y'all. We talk like this all the time, for real. Like we. <laughs> it, it just feels so good because now I know, like it's I'm worthy, and it yes. took it took for me almost losing. Cassandra, I don't had a DUI. Mm. Um, that didn't stop me from drinking, um, you know, hallucinating from doing the different types of drugs and stuff like that. Wow. You know, my son watched me grow through all of that. You know what I mean? So and he witnessed this? Some of it. Wow. Yeah. Because, I mean, had, I've always had my own place. Do you think it had an impact on him? Absolutely. How so? Absolutely. I think that, well, for one, I, I held all of the things that happened to me so close to my chest I was so hell-bent on making sure that I told him I loved him every day. Mm-hmm. Not only that I told him, but that I showed him. Yeah. But then as I got older and I and I got sober, all of the stuff that I had stuffed down, all the things that I had suppressed mm-hmm. came out. Mm-hmm. That's when I realized that I had been molested. That's when I realized that the things that I, were, that I was doing in front of my son you know, like drinking or having parties. And yeah. it would be when he would go to bed, but still, yeah. I'm interrupting his sleep. Yeah. You know, he needs to get rest and go be productive at school. Yeah. And and he, my son, well, you, you met my son. He's yeah. just a big, gentle giant, but he has always felt like he had to be my protector, mm. you know? And so there were times that I can honestly, and it's, I can't, I'm not gonna say I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's my truth. Mm-hmm. You know, that I would get angry at him. Mm-hmm. There's times I can remember being over a friend's house, being tore up, mm-hmm. drunk. Not so drunk that I couldn't drive, but drunk enough that I shouldn't have been driving yeah. with my baby in the car, my yeah. precious cargo. And I can remember him telling me, grabbing my arm, telling me, mom, that's enough. Mm. That's how I know. How did that make you feel? I was 
in the moment I was angry. Mm -hmm. In the moment I was angry. Like who? You a kid? Exactly. Kids play. Exactly. Don't tell me what to do. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's what I said. Mm -hmm. But he's the type of child, a man now that he was like, "It's time to go, mom. Let's go." Yeah. And I did. <laughs> I got up and I and we went home. Mm -hmm. But it 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 definitely affected him. Mm -hmm. He will never tell me how. But when I when I got clean. And when all those memories started coming back, I was I fell into a depression. Yeah. Because of the things the that guilt. I guilt. Yeah. And the shame. Yeah. The shame. I've always had shame. I had shame about, you know, just growing up the way I did. Yeah. I had shame about being molested. I yeah. had shame about not being able to speak my truth. I had shame yeah. about, you know, because I thought that I wasn't good enough or my hair wasn't long enough mm -hmm. or my, my hair was too nappy or And y'all y'all gonna I'm gonna have a picture of um Tiffany on the, I don't know what they call that, the ad, the oh, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. they call it, but she's got beautiful long sister locks, you know, so it's like you, you talk, the things that you talk about, it's like clearly that's not who we're looking at today. Oh my goodness, but you know what, my mom, and I don't want to make this about her, but this is what led me to drinking mm -hmm. and drugging and um, self-medicating. Mm -hmm. She would make me feel badly about never, because everybody in the house had long hair, all the girls except for me. Mm -hmm. She would make me feel badly about that. And you know, back in the day, everybody had curls, mm -hmm. okay? So, you know, my hair back then was almost as long as it is now with a chemical in it, mm -hmm. with the curl in it. And then I went from the curl, I think, to the Wave Nouveau. Mm. You probably don't remember that, mm -hmm. right. But then I said, I'm sick of this grease. Yeah. Tearing up my now, clothes I remember and my jacket. People leaving juice, juice Girl, stains everywhere they go. Like the soul glow, what was that? <laughs> on, on the, uh, what with was that, this? coming to America. Yes, You're that's, so ex cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how it was. And I said, I'm tired of this. I want, like, that's not me. I don't have to have this long hair to be who I am. That, mm -hmm. That's what you wanted. So when I finally took that out of my hair and I waited a while and I went and got a relaxer, of course, the relaxer tears our hair up and it tore my hair up. Yeah. But she made it a point every time she saw me to comment on my hair. And if you, you know, all that money I spent on your hair, and how was her hair? She got she has long hair. Really? Yeah. My, my, well, not long, long. It's not longer mm -hmm. long as mine. But her hair's always been shoulder length or a little bit longer okay. and full. But um, so she tried to pick out what she perceived as a flaw of yours and yes. highlight it to yes. make you feel how she feels about herself. Absolutely, my cheekbones. You know how many many years I hated my. And my your face? cheekbones are what people get Botox for. Right. Yeah. People out here paying somebody for to inject big old, them. Big old. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she made me feel horrible. And she would never say, you know, your cheekbones, this, but you know, when, you know, in the positive co-parenting class that I teach, we, I talk to, to families about what not to say to your children about their other parent, mm -hmm. because we are a mirror of our, our, of our parents. Mm -hmm. And so if you say that your dad is a whole piece of crap, guess what, I'm internalizing. Yeah. I came from him, yeah. so I must be too. Yeah. That's what she did to me. I had years of stuff mm -hmm. to unpack. Yeah. When did you start, like what was the breaking point where you said, I'm tired of um, numbing? Because you, mm. you, talked, you talked about, you know, when you got sober. Mm -hmm. when, when, when did that happen? Mm -hmm. Let me go back to when I was 15. Okay. When I was 15, I was deeply into my addiction. I mm -hmm. mean, 
if I wasn't sneaking something every day, well, mm -hmm. I didn't have to sneak it, but I'm saying maybe you if had I, access. Yes, if I was if I was at school on lunchtime, th that's the sneaking. Mm -hmm. But once I got home, I, I could just ask, or I could just do it, or I could just leave because mm -hmm. we didn't have curfew. There were no rules. There were no boundaries. Mm -hmm. There was there was nothing. But I remember at 15, one time I was so I was like really messed up on whatever I, I can't remember what it was probably everything mm -hmm. that I did and I remember saying to myself at 15 years old one day when I grow up I'm going to teach young girls how not to be like me wow I said That's that powerful. out loud and I that and, just gave me chills oh my gosh Cassandra and I don't even know where it came from it had to be your God. spirit yes yeah because I was deeply into my addiction I was high in that moment wow and I said that out loud to myself it brought tears to my eyes I said that Oh, I don't get emotion. So, I got sober. Um, I was 34, and uh, I had had a DUI. That wasn't enough to stop me. Mm -hmm. And I hated myself. And, um, but I love my money, though. And so, yeah, girl. <laughs> girl, I was getting, I was, I'm okay. I was, um, I was at work. I had moved to Texas and I had my super, my director, not my supervisor, but the director, our regional director, she was an alcoholic mm. and she liked me. She was a lesbian, mm -hmm. but she had a woman. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I was working for a company. I sold education for years. I was good at it. Mm -hmm. And, um, our company's numbers were plummeting. And she said, if you guys bring this up, we're gonna have a party out of this world. And so we went to her lake house and she brought, I mean, she had a table full of brown, dark, and everything else you needed. Oh, wow. She cooked steaks for us and we, we gave her our menu. She had, she lived on a lake. We jumped out in the boat and you know, that was- Oh, a, wow. Yeah, that was the first time that I had actually swam like in a lake. It was hilarious. Oh, wow. Yeah, but um, that night I lost my mind. <laughs> I did. I lost my mind. I was so drunk that I said some things that I should have never said that were derogatory mm. towards um, people. Um, I can be frank. Mm -hmm. A derogatory against white people. Mm. Okay, and and it was because I mean, there's no excuse. But her her lover was making it plain that she didn't like me mm -hmm. because the the regional director was shining a light on on my anatomy mm -hmm. okay and so then she when other people would try to talk about like the events of the day she would cut cut them off and let tiffany tell it let tiffany tell it so she was creating this discord between me and her her significant other mm -hmm. and so i said a whole bunch of stuff and they were like get her out of here and i left and it was so crazy cassandra i almost died that night Wow. Yeah, and when I woke up the next morning, I literally, I was asleep, and it was replaying in my head, and I woke up out of my sleep in a cold sweat, and I said, <gasps> it hit me as soon as I woke up. Like, it was hitting me while I was asleep. Everything wow. was replaying, and I jumped up, and I said, oh, my God, and I kept trying to call my regional director's phone because we had our direct number. Mm -hmm. She would not answer my calls, but she was lit, too, so she probably she was probably asleep. And then I started calling my immediate supervisor. She thought it was hilarious, you know, telling me all the things that I had done. And I remembered some of it. I almost jumped out of a moving SUV what? window. Yeah. Wow. Just totally gone. And, but 
in retrospect, now when I look back, that's what the director wanted, the regional. She, that was her. She, oh, yeah, that was her wow. thing. And so, um, but that's still no excuse for my behavior mm-hmm. and what I did. And so, um, I got on my face because I could not get a hold of her. I tried to get a hold of her for hours and I could not. And I fell on the floor. I will never forget this. And I told God, I said, I need you. I cannot do this because I know me. I love to drink. I love beer, Cassandra. Mm -hmm. God's so funny. Do you know I'm allergic to non-alcoholic beer? He won't even let me taste it. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even taste it. God's so funny. He's funny. So I fell on my face. Girl, I fell on my face that day, and I've never cried out to God like that in my life. And I asked him, I begged him to taste the, take the taste of alcohol away from me. I said, if you do that for me, I will spend the rest of my life telling people about your goodness mm-hmm. and how you healed me and how you cleaned me up, how you saved me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and matter of fact, take it all away. I don't want to taste for anything. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of the end of my addiction. Did you go to recovery? No. A recovery program? I did not. The next day I went to work and that regional director was there. She played a joke on me, told me I had to go to rehab. I told her what she can do with her rehab because I was still... Shove it. Right. <laughs> and I'm thinking, hey, you, you're going to tell me I need to go to rehab. Yeah. You supplied all the liquor and you were drunk. Yeah. Like drunk, drunk. So um, she told me she was joking or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I never drank again. I never did any more drugs. That was September. Cold turkey. Yeah. That was September wow. 17th. That was God. September 17th, 2004, before then, I was, I had, because I moved to Dallas August 1 of 98, and I had slowed down on my drinking, but if I drank more often than not, I drank to get drunk. Mm. I didn't, it wasn't what I planned to do. But it happened. As an alcoholic, you have no, right. you can't, yeah. you have no control, yeah. and I had to admit to, to myself and to, to the Lord that you had a there's a problem, you know, there's a, a power higher than me. This liquor has taken over me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and God walked me through the 12-step program, and I didn't even know it, Cassandra, until I went to school um, for my master's degree in human services. The emphasis is on drug and alcohol dependency. Mm. And um, when I did my, uh, my internship here in Springfield at Gateway, mm-hmm. I learned the intricate steps of the 12-step program. And for those who aren't aware, Gateway is? It's Gateway is a rehabilitation center Mm -hmm. for inpatient and outpatient for um, people that suffer with substance abuse. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. Everything you just shared um, resonates so much, just hearing you talk about it, because oftentimes when I teach my classes or I coach, Mm -hmm. um, and I've had people who have gone through the recovery process, Mm -hmm. and they'll say, Man, a lot of stuff you teach is from a, have you ever been in recovery? And I said, no, God gave me this. Mm-hmm. I, and the same thing you said, I feel like God gave me yeah. my own recovery program yeah. where, you know, I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And my thing was being a cutter and mm-hmm. suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you going to have to do something. Because yeah. it's either it. you're going to take, I'm going to take my own life yeah. or you're going to have to intervene. You're going to intervene, yeah. But I, I never... Um, I never went to, even like with me doing this whole nutrition thing right now mm-hmm. and admitting I had a food addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, I had people asking me, did you go to, the, what is that called? Overeaters Anonymous. There's like different oh, organizations yeah. stuff. Because I had a problem. Or Weight Watchers or I didn't realize it. But mm-hmm. I said, no. I was like, I started working my own steps. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I think it's what you said. It's that surrendering and knowing you have to admit that you have a problem. Absolutely. And I think that's the first that step. That is the first step. And I think that's where a lot of people miss the mark. Yeah, because they they're not ready. They want the end result. Yeah. They want the outcome, but they won't take that first step of admitting right now. Mm -hmm. I need help. Mm -hmm. I need to do something. Absolutely. They just want to say, I don't feel too good about my circumstances. I want to be over here. And it's right. like, that's not how that's it works. Not, and then there's no timetable on no. it. No. And you know, it, 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 for when I got clean, I had to go through a whole, I healed because I, I wouldn't, I wasn't where I am now. So what was the gap between this prayer and you surrendering this to God? Oh, it was immediate. And you starting your, my journey, your journey with becoming an addictions therapist. Oh, okay. So that I got clean, like I said, September 17th, 2004. I didn't go to school for my addictions therapy. Um, as an for as an addiction therapist, I didn't do that until May of 2015. Wow! I finished. So May you of walked your own journey out for Absolutely. 11 years yeah. before you actually said, yeah. "I'm going to do this and help people." Yeah, yeah. Wow. I started school, um, the master's program in January of 2013, and I and I finished May of 2015. Mm. Yeah. So God just kept having me put one foot in front of the other and do things. Mind you, throughout from from September to, uh, 2004 to uh, January, December, 2012, I was depressed. I was battling depression mm -hmm. because all of those memories and things, yeah. they came back, Yeah, you know, and I, and I had gotten, I had a, a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. I ended up in the hospital. I finally started going to therapy and then I moved here. Mm -hmm. So I started to, the correlation. I always knew that it was my, my, my upbringing, my mm -hmm. programming, my mom, my parents, period. But it's but, like unpacking all of that. Yeah. And I think I think what people don't realize is there are layers that we unfold. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there is no time limit. There is no time frame. Right. You know, I have people ask like, I'm, how long is it going to take until blah, blah, blah. And right. I'm like, I don't know. It's individual. I'm like, you know, it could take six days, six months, six mm -hmm. years, mm -hmm. whatever the good Lord says is time. But do the work. It's like you overcome one area and you get some breathing room, and then before you know it, here comes something, here else. Comes something else, and you're like, oh, that's another wound. And it's tied oh, to that. Oh, that's another wound. Yeah. Oh, that, I gotta pull that root. Yeah. Oh, I gotta face that. Yeah. Or you or you find you, you find where you meet someone. My issue is, and I still deal with this, where I meet is typically women mm -hmm. that remind me of my mom. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, and so it's like, I feel like I'm healed, and I have, you know, this, 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 this it's scabbed over, and then I, 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 I meet them, and here it comes again. And I remember Joyce Meyer said one time, God uses people as sandpaper to to smooth out your rough edges. I don't know if, it, if that's what it is. I don't know what it is, mm, but. I've heard her say that. Yeah, it kind of. I'm like, well, we ain't smooth yet. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm when tired. We, you know. Sometimes I'd be like, man, you've been rubbing for, for years. Uh, uh, Come on now. And then if it'll leave, I'll go from one place and here it comes, it's another. And mm -hmm. then, but, but, but when I tell the story, I feel because that's the little the wounded little girl in me because she still has some wounds and I feel like I have to try to preface it with I know this happened at, at XYZ job and then it happened over here at ABC job but it's really not me I know that it's not me mm -hmm. I keep meeting the mean girls mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but until I was able to just really fully process that for myself I was still blaming myself, thinking that maybe I did something because someone else was intimidated. 
well, you're intimidated by me because I'm not intimidating. Right. You know, but I had to get that. Yeah. I had to get that. Was that all a part of your recovery? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, again, I, I never felt good enough. So when someone would tell me that they're intimidated by me, I would internalize what they were feeling. Right. You know? Like the whole what's wrong with me again. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So once I went to grad school I um, and went through my program and then the internship, uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks that I was doing. I was learning about the 12-step program, but I was also learning about what God had me do. Wow. And I, I was floored. Like, I started crying because yeah. I had no idea. I didn't know. Like, I, I called people and apologized and mm -hmm. wrote letters. And that was what he said, do. I did all of that, too. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I reached out to people. Um, and I know this now, mm -hmm. looking back, like, it was my job to do that, but it was not my job to necessarily invite them back in my life. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was guilty of... I would send these letters out mm -hmm. or I would try to make amends with people that I felt like maybe we didn't end off on the mm -hmm. best of terms mm -hmm. and just leave it at that. Like I make, I'm doing I my own my recompense part. for my own peace, but then I would let them back in. Yeah. And so then it's like, okay, Cassandra, you didn't learn the lesson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the lesson was, this is your journey, not yeah. theirs. And so, so Tiffany, can you relate to this? This is something I've been thinking about with my own personal situation where it's like, you you felt like somewhere along your journey that because you're doing the work that you expect everybody else to get it and be doing the work too. Yeah. And it's like, at what point do we realize that it's our own journey mm -hmm. and not everybody is committed to the path? Yeah. And not only is are they not committed, it's not my job to make them that. face. Like Jada Pinkett says, that, that part. That part, yeah. Yes. Well, what, you, you know what? I've been guilty of that. I, just, I was I've just been, ready to say I've it. been guilty of that up until probably today. Yeah. When I... <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. The you conversation know, we just had. We just had. had. I yeah. feel like the light bulb went on when I said, Cassandra, you... Because then it's like, I'm not being any different than them. Controlling and manipulating. But it's called dependency. And it's like, I can't make someone change that doesn't want to change. And then you can't I get mad when they don't do it. Exactly. And that's what I was doing. I make a choice and decide... This is the path I'm on. Mm -hmm. I get to decide if I want to allow you to be on this path with me. Absolutely. But I can't force you to be on your own path. Yeah, because when we do that, we all they're going to do is resent it. They're mm -hmm. going to rebel. Mm -hmm. And then I find myself getting angry. Yes. You know, and the, the conversation that we just had, that's what I was doing. And I was like, no. I don't have to do that for yeah. one because I deserve better. Yeah. You know, I deserve more. Yeah. And I've done too much. I've come too, too far. far. Yeah. For me to sit up and try to make you see me. Yeah. And my work? Hmm. Baby. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> no ma'am. No ma'am. That's a, that's a, that's kind of the epiphany I had where, you know, with relationships and friendships, you know, like same with you, we were talking about always attracting the mean girl and yes I'm just like you know I've just reached the, I feel like I've reached this freedom within myself where I don't give a rat's ass mm -hmm. anymore yeah and you could either like it or love it but I'm going to do what makes Cassandra happy Period. and I'm going to continuously work toward being the best version of myself and if that bothers you Sorry about your luck, yeah. but this is who I am and this sorry, is how I'm, I'm living sorry. my life. Yeah, and you deserve that because you know, and that's what I had to start to to 
resolve within myself is that I know me. Yeah. If I don't know anybody else, you know I know me. I know when I did the right thing. Mm -hmm. I know when I did something half-assed. Mm -hmm. And I know when I've given 100% yes. within a friendship, a relationship, yes. any type of relationship, yes. not just with, with a, my helpmate, you yes. know what I'm saying, or my, my man or whatever. Yeah. Even my family, my sister, my mom. You my, know when you tried. I know when I tried. Yeah. And I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. I don't have to, you don't have to validate me. Mm for me to feel worthy anymore. Yes. And you know what? You don't deserve my tears. Yeah. They're gone. Girl, I'm Dry telling you, all the way up. What, what Mary J. Blige said, when you, when them tears is gone, hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I just, I realized that it's not worth it. And sometimes I still get that angst, you know, mm -hmm. up in me because I still have, I have PTSD. You know, from all the trauma, and yeah. I and I have to deal with that, and it's it's a daily thing. And I, that was my next question, like as an addictions therapist mm -hmm. and a recovering addict, um, you're still on your own path. Yes. How do you um, how do you incorporate your story with how you help others? I'm transparent. You know, mm -hmm. I don't um, I don't self disclose if it's not relative to their sure. circumstances. Sure. Um, and it's hard because, you know, I'm in social services during the day as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I pick and choose. I might not necessarily say this is what happened to me, right. but I use snippets of my life mm -hmm. and my story, mm -hmm. um, and the ways I was able to overcome it. I share with them the things that God gave me to use. Yeah. And, and then they end up asking me, did you go through this? Yeah. Cause they know, like, ain't no way you know all right. that. Right. Yeah. Because you can... You share it from a way where they know you get it mm -hmm. and you're so understanding mm -hmm. to the point where it's like, and when you've been through the types of stuff we've been through, you're so used to people being judgmental and critical. Yes. That when someone is actually empathetic and understanding, you like, you, you've been you've through been the same this, shit. Yeah, you've been here before. <laughs> yeah. and, and, they, and I call myself not self-disclosing, but then when they ask, I'm, I'm honest, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, I have a client that her, who her mother is narcissistic. I have another client who was uh, molested in her home, wow. you know. I've, I share things sometimes on Facebook and, I, and, and I've been doing it a lot more recently because I just have. Mm -hmm. And I get men coming, you know, in my inbox now talking about their mom and their relationship with their mom and how they yeah. were abused and neglected and sexually assaulted. And it's just, we have to share. Yeah. We have to. Do you feel like that's a part of your recovery is you've done the work, you've mm -hmm. done the healing, and now you're at the point where you're not just helping people through like your education, your certifications, but through your voice and yes. sharing your story. Yes, I do. And I feel like um, a lot of times I get an urging from God mm -hmm. to talk about things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I may go live or I may see someone and, and you know how it is as an empath. People just yeah. come up to you and start talking to you about stuff and I'm yeah. like, Damn, why well, I, I don't want to talk about it. Right. You're but like, you I'm, I'm in solitude mode okay. right now. <laughs> but I but I have to do it. Yeah. And so in those times and in those moments I am totally transparent. This coming from someone who used to lie about who they were. You know, mm. I would lie about drinking and drugging and, and all the things that go along with it, the lifestyle, the promiscuity, because I didn't have any self respect or self love or um, worthiness, you know, and I would lie about the ha being able to have the parties and all that. You know, my friends knew and they would, Tiffany can have parties, she can do it. I'm like, shut up. If I wanted somebody to know, I would tell them, mm -hmm. you know. Don't be telling my business. Right. <laughs> but girl, I told God when I fell on my floor that I will do anything you tell me to do mm. if it'll help somebody else 
come out of their addiction. Wow. If it'll stop somebody else, if it'll stop somebody else's 13-year-old daughter, yeah. I'll be transparent. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. That's not me. It is now, but that's not who I was. Wow. I hit everything. Wow. Yeah. I think that's why our stories are so powerful and we have to continue to share them. I mean, and this is the reason why I wanted to do this podcast because, you know, there's there's a lot of good podcasts out there, you know, with content as mm-hmm. far as like business ideas or people sharing like general theories. But I'm like, there's people out there like us who have real life, like we done been through some real life stuff. Yeah. And I'm always, I always have people asking like, but how did you get through it? Right. And I, I feel like that's why we do stuff like this mm-hmm. because when we can be transparent and share our stories, we're showing people that the possibility exists for them, to, that they too can get to the other side. Absolutely. And it's like, if I can do it, you, you can, can do, do it. it. And that's the flip side of it because when I work in addiction um, in the rehab center, I don't, I can't share with them yeah. that I didn't go through rehab because they're gonna be like, oh, well, if she didn't do it, I. And so they're gonna feel like you don't yeah. get it. This this ain't for you, boo. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't. But it doesn't. It doesn't negate the fact that you've been through the experience which led them there. And right. to me, that is what should resonate. Mm-hmm. Is the fact that you still had the experiences mm-hmm. that led them to that point. Oh yeah. You know, we all have a different healing process and right. healing journey, but it doesn't change the fact that our stories may be similar or like your addiction may have been this and my addiction may have been that. But at the end of the day, it's the same dang on thing. Yeah. We numbing ourselves. Exactly. We trying to mask our pain. Mm-hmm. We trying to hide what's really going on yeah. beneath the surface. Yeah. Secrets keep you sick. And, I, and mm-hmm. they kept me sick for a long time. Mm. So what I did tell them was I, I worked the steps because I did. Yeah. You know, God was right there. That was, He was my counselor. Wow. He was my counselor. That's awesome. Yeah. So what would you share with someone who's listening and they've had similar experiences as you and maybe they're not on the other side. They're kind of still stuck in the middle. Mm. What, would, what would you say to them? I would say, first of all, you got to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to look at that, the, the man in the mirror, mm-hmm. you know, and if, if you really know in your heart of hearts that what you're doing is not right, if you, if your addiction or your trauma or your mental illness or whatever it is, if it is, because nine times out of 10, when we in addicts, when addicts are in their addiction is because they're hiding some pain. Right. They're hiding mental illness. Right. Um, because they don't want to deal with it. They don't right. know how to cope with it and they're definitely not taking any medication for it. Right. They're self-medicating. Yeah. So you have to get honest with yourself and, and and say that there really is a problem and, and ask yourself, you know, how is this affecting my life? Has it affected my job? Has it affected my relationships? Has it, you know, am I spending more money? Have I built up a tolerance? You'll start to go, go through the criteria mm-hmm. to see if you really are an addict. Mm-hmm. You know, ask yourself those hard questions and take a real good hard look in the mirror and write down what you, the things that you're doing versus what you like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, go back to, if you can go back in the recesses of your mind and think about what you used to like to do when you were, when you weren't always waking up, mm. you know, under the influence. Mm. What did, what is she, what did the little girl used to do? Mm. You know, what is she like? That's what happened to me. Going back to the basics. Yeah. That's exactly what I call it. Yeah. Going back to the basics. And I had to do that. And I, I, cause I had blocked it out. Yeah. And then I thought, oh my God, I used to love to swing. Yeah. Cassandra, why did I just start going to the park? That is so true, Tiffany. Like when I, I think that's why fitness is my thing. Mm-hmm. Because 
it, I realized it's always been my thing. Yeah. Even before I was a quote-unquote athlete, mm-hmm. I was always the little girl outside racing the boys. Mm-hmm. I was always the little girl outside trying to beat the boys up the tree or out climb them up right. the roof. Like, I was just always active. Yes. I loved being outside. Mm-hmm. And I was reconnecting with that part of myself, yes. I think, is what started bringing the healing and the mm-hmm. freedom because it, I was going back to the things I enjoyed doing. Yeah. And that where it all began. Yeah. That little girl, where where that trauma. That's how began. I nurtured myself. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I would encourage them to do. Mm, nurture yourself. Yeah. That's what I had to do. That's how I started. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That was God, girl, because I didn't know what to do, and I wasn't ready to talk to anyone else. Mm-hmm. When I surrendered, when I fell out, literally, I fell out. You just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I thought I was gonna lose my job. Cause I, I cussed out my regional director and her woman and I was sloppy drunk, cussed mm-hmm. the dogs out and everything, you know? And I really, I didn't, I was, I think I was married at the time, but I was going through a divorce. I had nobody to count on. I wasn't living here anymore. I was living in Texas. I had no one but me to count on and God. Mm-hmm. And I chose him. Yeah. It's crazy. I love I love hearing stories and um, it's interesting because I've heard you share your story, but then you just broke all the details down and Mm -hmm. it's like to see where you are now Mm -hmm. and um, it's just such a blessing when we can overcome these things that take so many people out, take so many people's lives. Um, I lost an aunt to addiction. My aunt overdosed and died. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think 14 years, 12 or 14 years ago. Wow. Yeah, she died. So people have to hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, your story matters. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I was just like, oh, my goodness. Well, I, don't, I didn't know what you were going to ask or how in-depth you wanted me mm-hmm. to get. But you know I'm transparent. Yeah. But for me to just listen to this and think, you know, about where I am today. Yeah. You know, I'm a, a woman with confidence. Yeah. Um, I have actually gone to school and graduated and and I, I help other people feel good about themselves. I came from a place of darkness and loneliness. Yeah. You know, living in a home where I could be surrounded by people but I always felt alone. Yeah. You know, and to come from that to where I am today, actually being able to walk out and have my head held high. Yeah. You know, with my own hair without having to have chemicals yeah. in it, you know what I yeah. mean? And just flowing and just loving Tiffany Yeah. as I am, flaws and all. Yeah. It feels good. I still have my days, you know, where I have to go back and, and reassess and, and, yeah. and sometimes I have to go back to the basics, but it feels so good. I feel like that's why we call it a lifelong journey mm-hmm. because there's always that recalibrating. Yes. It's like a car. Yeah. You know, you gotta take your car to get service. You mm-hmm. gotta get oil changes. You gotta get maintenance done. We're the same way. Absolutely. We have moments where, you know, we may not be feeling our best selves or we may have this external life circumstance mm-hmm. that has us feeling out out of sorts. But I feel like the difference between those of us on this path and those who cave into that is that we always come out of it and get to the other side. On top. We always come out on top. And that's the game changer. Yeah, yeah. It's the winner's circle. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for coming and uh, sharing I your story. We'll be, we'll, I know we'll be having you back again. Um, and for those of you who are listening, if you are 
in a situation right now with anything that we said um, that resonates with you, whether if it's a drug or alcohol addiction or like, you know, I shared I had a food addiction, um, you know, years ago I used to be a cutter, suicidal, all of these things. If you are in that place, please, 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 please get help. Yes. There is no shame in getting help. There is nothing wrong with you admitting that that's where you're at. It's actually the start to a beautiful beginning. Yes. And I just implore you to please do something now to make a choice today that your future self will thank you for. Oh, yeah. That's good. And um, and we'll talk to you all next time. Thanks again, Tiffany. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to subscribe, like, share, and leave your review for the podcast. To learn more, go to www.cassandraaustin.com.